Namaskar. Hello and welcome to P Guru's channel. I'm your host Sri Ayer. Joining me today in DGI 427 is my co-host Sridhar Chityalaji. Sridhar ji, namaskar and welcome to P Guru's channel. Namaskar. Good morning to everybody and happy to be here on this wonderful Saturday. Sir, a lot of stuff happening. Let us start with what's happening with the upcoming or, or the ongoing visit of the Taiwan President Tsai in United States. She came to LA. She met with the uh, House Majority Leader. And then she has been meeting with various political personalities. In the meantime, China has been rattling its saber one more time. It's been flying 40 plus uh, planes across the median line uh, separating China from Taiwan Strait. Is this another saber-rattling exercise or is there more intent behind this one? No, there's much more than uh, uh, much more than saber-rattling. I think there's a clear message. There's one uh, other additional data point. Uh, uh, Rep Representative Mike McCall uh, is, is, was in Taipei in, on Thursday, uh, endorsing his support as uh, the, the Taiwanese president landed. He made a very important statement, which is... Uh, from there, with a few other uh, uh, House representatives who are part of the House Foreign Relations Committee, the statement says that if it if push comes to shove, we have to defend. We are prepared to go to war with China to defend Taiwan, but that's not an option we would like to pursue. But if that's no, if that's the only option left, we will pursue that after discussing with Congress and the American people. It's a very profound and important statement from Taiwan and from Taipei on Thursday as the president returned and the saber rattling has started. Um, Sridharji, now let us take a quick look at what has been happening in Cocoa Islands. It's an island stream, just a swirl of iron, uh, islands just north of Andaman and Nicobar. And this is uh, owned by Myanmar. However, it appears that a lot of Chinese construction has been seen there. Is that Chinese stuff? Chinese spy on uh, Chinese spying on Andaman Nicobar. India has finally caught up, and now they have confronted Myanmar. Walk us through these things, sir. What really happened, and what are the concerns that India has? Well, there's been construction going on in Cocoa Island for a long time, but most recently, I mean, India has been observing. If you would like to know where Cocoa Island is. I think as uh, Sriji pointed out, you can go to the map. It is in a very strategic location, 55 miles north of Andaman Nicobar. And if you carefully look at the map, it faces the Malacca Strait. Remember, Andaman Nicobar is where our naval submarine and India's naval footprint is. And India's responsibility was a blockade uh, in the event that China entertains any aspirations. Right there, uh, one could see uh, the construction, more recently, the construction activity where even Chinese workers are present. It is believed that uh, there's also some kind of surveillance uh, and tracking center that is being built. This evidence was collected based on a U.S. Um, um, data that was given by Matrix Corporation, which monitors this specific area. I know many times people ask the question, what happens to Indian satellites? What happens to Indian satellites? Why it's always U.S.? Uh, you know, I can and we can answer the question. But the fact is that it is a U.S. data. That data was given to the Indian authorities. And then Indian authorities confronted Myanmar in the month of January with this specific data. So obviously the intelligence comes out a little bit later. 
recall we covered this in DGI. There's a Chinese balloon that went over the Andaman Nicobar Islands that was also brought up and it just uh, got, uh, you know, smooshed away or the information um, not responded appropriately. So there is a consistent pattern of spying going on around that specific area. Uh, another strategic importance is the Oscus um, most recent submarine port is going to be diametrically, vertically down in uh, the Western Australian uh, Hamas uh, Sterling port um, to provide logistical support if it is required across the Indian Ocean. So this is a very significant kind of a development as China prepares itself for very clearly a war and eliminating the, those areas that it believes is potential points of vulnerability. Um, viewers, please don't again sell 10 cent comments that US cannot be trusted. Look, this is not something that is a fiction or an imagination. We are telling you that US has helped India and the way the satellite imaging work is the satellites are set up for a particular latitude, longitude and, and, and they can't really go too far off of that to go and look at something that is happening beyond that. So whatever it is, the point I'm trying to make here is there are three types of comments I've observed, Sridharji. One is really good comments of people who are genuine listeners. Second is deliberately putting bad comments to try and uh, thinking that that will run down the reach and virality of the video. And the third one is messaging that we see often where cryptocurrency suddenly will come in and somebody will put a comment, four people will reply. All these things are some sort of third way of messaging. Some people are trying to you know, do something with cryptocurrencies. We don't know exactly what it is. We usually try and take them down immediately because we don't want to be part of any of that nonsense. Just wanted to tell people, news is news. Data is data, truth is truth. So look at it that way when you put your comments. Let's be having, let's have a good intellectual discussion of back and forth rather than making, you know, shooting from the hip. It doesn't help anyone. Let's take a look at what is happening next in uh, in China. Uh, Sridharji, Biden, China uh, revelations. Now many more banks, not just Cathay Bank, have been named. Many marquee Banks of United States also are involved. Walk us through these things. Only the first of 11 transfers of 3 million has been honored thus far. What else is coming down the train? Well, I think that uh, the, you remember we covered again in DGI that, um, that the, uh, the House uh, Judiciary Committee is uh, tracking the, what we call as the red flags that was over a period of time flashed by the Treasury. Uh, of the various governments. So they have now gone back 14 years. They're looking at 14 years data and they're observing that there's number of transactions that relate all the things relate to, um, uh, to Hunter Biden. And they're also able to connect some of this data to the famous, famous, famous or infamous, the Hunter Biden computer, some of the data within that computer. So the data has been sought from these banks, which list all the financial transactions which has originated from China, which seems to have flown into these families. It's not only flown from China, but obviously the, uh, the energy conglomerate footprint in Europe and other places. So there's very clear kind of um, data that is coming out, whether it will become evidentiary 
uh, as they pursue these investigations. Wells Fargo still has not come. Remember, Wells Fargo got featured again. They had transactions uh, about a year ago before the House transition to Republicans. So there's much more to come as far as the Hunter Biden is concerned, because House is now right, correctly or rightly in the hands of the opposite side of the administration. Sir, uh, let's take a look uh, quickly at markets. I somehow skipped that. Gold has risen almost 10% in year to date. You said 9%, but I, I think 1750 was the lowest uh, around December 2022. And today we are at 2023. So clearly 10% mark has been breached. Some people say gold can go up to $10,000. And some say, no, it will be only at $3,000 announced by the end of this year. Give us a little bit of an idea. Now, there is a new definition for GSB, sir. This is GSB in India. Usually they say Gout Saraswat Brahmins, gold, silver, Bitcoin. That is a new mantra that is making the rounds in, in the United States. Talk to us a little bit about the rise and rise of gold. The three important um, commodities um, that one you need to look at over the next 90 days, 200 and maybe 90 days for or for rest of the year. Gold, oil, and commodity, which is agricultural commodity, wheat and grains. These three are becoming a choke point around the world. And as these prices increase, there are indications that the preparations for war is afoot. Only the, these currencies rise because the cash shifts to safe havens. There's nothing that substantiates as to why gold should increase, price should increase. Other thing that is going on in the market, which all of you are, you know, you have several experts who have given different, different opinions, is effectively the currency or the new currency should be gold and not US dollar. This is also, this crescendo is also rising. Why? Because in the event of a war, if there is a strangle on the dollar, then you can strangle lots of things. So when you look at all the saber rattling that is going on in the Russia-Ukraine situation, when you look at all the saber rattling that is going on in, the, in, in China, and when you look at the new emerging partnerships that is happening, when you look at the sanctions that are happening in the global payment systems, which is effectively US and Euro, predominantly 80%, then you are beginning to see some shift in patterns in markets. So this is a high-level overview of what you are seeing in terms of the moment away and money shifting to commodity currencies. We'll touch on grains when we come to Russia, Sriji. Yes, indeed. And uh, now crude is up to $85 a barrel. So the, the rise is on. We, we predicted this because the futures, uh, uh, in future, the crude supply is going to be reducing. So that will definitely, definitely reflect on the price of crude at the pump. It's always like that. Future may go up. Today, the price goes up. 
future may go down it will not go down today it will go down one month from now very amazing price elasticity there anyway this is just made in in just uh, nobody checks it there have been many commissions of inquiry in california doing this but nothing has ever nobody has ever been punished that's that's how this works so people talk about no corruption in the west it's not true it just happens in a much scientific level much higher level sir let's take a quick look at ukraine's first deputy foreign minister uh, emin japarova she is going to be asking on an upcoming visit to india for humanitarian aid so i guess the war is now ravaging some of the agricultural produce of ukraine because that's all in the eastern part of ukraine isn't it yeah yeah um i think that the uh, and also the southern the kharkov region which is also yeah. an important conduit um also the black sea has been uh, choked um so you know ukraine has no alternative if black sea is choked uh, you know for it to uh, only use land route which is very complicated you know remember ukraine and russia along with india are the three largest producers of uh, grains plus of course ukraine is also home to many other fertilizers and they are the largest producers of inert gases and the inert gases are used in uh, semiconductor uh, chips so there's a lot of things that goes directly into ukraine but the lady is uh, mr Zap- madam zaparova is coming into uh, to india to seek help on aid but also the energy installations remember that was one of the first things that was targeted by the russians to take out their energy and uh, infrastructure so it they're coming out to seek help uh, to repair some of the energy installations india is also the chair uh, for g20 this year till november 2023 or december 2023 so she is coming down to seek support from modi ji uh to invite mr zelensky to address the g20 meet and now uh, let's turn our attention to arunachal pradesh countering the move of china to rename many arunachal villages into chinese names the indian defense minister is going to be touring the area and is going to be announcing a lot of infrastructural projects i'm not sure this is the right response though and we are going to analyze this at 8 pm tonight with sumit peer so do log back in to our program we're going to have a lot of new insights about india's strategy in countering china's fake narrative so that's a separate subject but sridhar ji touch upon this sir how do you think this makes a difference i mean they'll say oh good 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 you're doing all the work for us then we can come and occupy this area i'm just being the devil's advocate here well i think that historically one needs to look at what was different uh, today to what was uh, before uh what was before you is that we had a modicum of footprint no preparedness uh which is the reason why india squandered and squandered and squandered um, you know thousands and thousands of i don't know uh, acreages of land and why it was dismissed as a green pasture um and there has been attempted um influence of uh, chinese footprint within india to s- s- these incidents so clearly there's a message that is going from at least from the indian side which is to say okay you got the stuff we are also developing on this side we have got the infrastructure uh, we got the villages we are also they are also sending message to the villages we are not neglected you remember how many years the northeast was neglected by india forget everything else in the past northeast was neglected in terms of the infrastructure that has happened 
in less than nine years. More recently, in the five, six, seven years, you've seen lots of progress. Uh, so I think they're building up uh, the farming, they're building up the water resources, they're building up, uh, they're tapping into the uh, energy ecosystem, but most importantly, they're buying into the goodwill across those four or five states uh, you know, along the border and preparing themselves, which is to say, we are here, the people are with us and we're continuing to grow. So besides the, the, uh, the, the army infrastructure, the civil infrastructure is also being prepared uh, in the event. Not in the event. I think there is definitely going to be very similar to Taiwan. There is definitely going to be an India-China war. China never buckles down, especially under this present Emperor Xi. So he probably will meet his Waterloo in the Northeast. And, and Rios, you should remember that they now have a bullet train that comes within 45 kilometers of the borderline separating China and India at Arunachal Pradesh. This is a bullet train that you can come from uh, Lhasa, which is the capital of Tibet, to this place. I don't remember. It starts with the letter N and ends with N. Nanjiang or Nanking or something. Nan, Nan something. Uh, I, I have talked about this in the past. So that comes within 45 kilometers of the border which means that for mobilization, they'll be able to do it very quickly. It's a different matter that India will be able to take it down or not. You know, in war, you can never predict what's going to happen. And, and we also have to keep in mind that Chinese construction, Chinese infrastructure, the less said, the better. So th there's going to be a, a day of reckoning for China as much of its arms and ammunition will be tested out and, and see how good they are as they claim to be. So that will be the moment of reckoning. Let's go on to other things. So I just so want to make one important, uh, one important observation here. Yes, sir. Yes, the sir. story, the important observation is many of the soldiers who come are going to fight this battle, they are not from that region. They are from mainland China. This is a difference that the war strategists have pointed out. They are very less motivated. Some of these people who are captured by the Indians and released, they don't even know why they are there, but they are there because of the directive. So this is going to be a very important difference as this. You can have all the infrastructure, you can have all the equipment, but if you don't have a motivated army which believes in that region and which believes that it belongs to it, then I don't know how they can motivate. This is at least the what intelligence and insights that I have heard, which is a very decisive factor as far as India is concerned, Sriji. I just wanted to make that point. Thank you, sir. Um, the, the, we also know that along the LAC, China needs to recycle its troops far faster, far more frequently than the Indian side. I believe the numbers are one month for China and one year for India uh, because of the altitude and the harsh climate. So there are many other things also that are happening, like uh, what Sridharji said, that the people don't even know why they are there. At the same time, um, all this pressure must be bleeding China dry. I'm hearing some really disastrous stories about how their economy is in a free fall. To get the accurate data, we are going to get Elmer Yuan very shortly. He'll give the in insights from the other side, looking at what is happening inside China. So stay tuned for that one. will happen in the next couple of days. Let's take a quick look at the South Korean foreign minister's visit to India. Sridharji, South Korea is becoming more and more closely aligned with India. Indeed, I think that they have a lot of infrastructure, be it automotive industry, be it the consumer electronics industry, be it uh, the steel industry. Uh, you know, Korea has been a very strong partner. The fact that the foreign minister 
is re-endorsing uh, India to be a very productive and constructive partner and the capital continues to flow uh, is an endorsement. I mean, we remember we said and people had a Japan, India, Korea, very soon Indonesia will be coming uh, and Singapore. So you can see, you can begin to see the Indo-Pacific partnership beginning to line up both within an economic context and in a strategic context. Um, viewers, um, South Korea used to be ruled by Hindu kings. And uh, I was at uh, Asian Art Museum in San Francisco. It's a beautiful museum right opposite the city hall. And, and you can go through and visit the objects there. The capital at that point of time was called Indrapuri. I'm not sure if Indrapuri is the same as today's modern day Seoul. Korea as a kingdom perhaps had more parts of not just North Korea, but even some into mainland China. And, and it is believed that uh, a Tamil princess was married into that family. And when she went to Korea, she actually set about defining some words for to be added into the Korean language, the most important being father and mother, which is uh, appa and amma, which is what it is in, in Tamil. So it's a very interesting thing. If you were watching a Korean uh, web series on uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime, you'll be sure to pick up all these small nuances where they address the, the, the children address their parents by Appa and Amma. So there is a lot of cultural connects. In fact, I think uh, Korean prince, uh, th there is a royalty there and they claim their lineage back to Lord Rama. Isn't it, uh, Sridharji? She was there at Ayodhya recently. That's correct. Yes, I think she was. She, uh, in fact, there's a princess from Ayodhya who got married in, uh, they came in the dream um, and uh, they came and they met and the princess was married into the family. And hence, there is this significant historic connection between uh, Korea and going back to the Treta Yuga in, uh, in India. So, uh, next question to you, sir. A 45-year-old Israeli Arab rams a van into tourists vacationing on a beach off of Tel Aviv. One Italian tourist is dead, several injured. Sir, why doesn't the loudmouths of the squad ask these questions of their constituents that you cannot kill innocent tourists in a third place, sir? I think first and foremost, I think in DGI we have been giving, we have been covering the the flash points around the world. We have been preemptively covering this, and you can see everything lining up as the days progress. Each of these flash points uh, spruce up. Uh, and now, of course, we have been covering the the the, the, the Israel, uh, Jordan, sorry, Israel, Syria, uh, Lebanon, and uh, uh, Iran. And uh, you can uh, why this particular person? It is to do with uh, frustrations around what happened in the mosque, uh, and very quickly Israelis put down the demonstrations in the specific mosque. And as a consequence, you are seeing some of this interesting or uh, uh, point activities of, uh, of um, what you call suicide bombings and terrorist attacks. Uh, so this guy tried to ram and as he rolled, as the van rolled, he tried to get out and he tried to shoot. He was obviously neutralized. Um, all this is uh, goes back to, you know, Hamas, Hezbollah, as well as the Iranian surrogates uh, instigating. Now, you made a very important point which is namely, why is the squad not helping or raising this issue? The squad continuing to spew problems and they are still persisting while this goes on 
agitations with regard to the judicial reforms, there's still protest going on while you have this specific problem. So they're kind of stirring the pot and they have been anti-Netanyahu or anti-regime there. So this thing will go on and to some extent, notwithstanding the fact that the present Biden administration and Antony Blinken have asked people to tone down the rhetoric and prevail and preserve calm. Remember, there was just before Ramadan, there was also a meet which was attended by Egypt, Jordan, Palestine, Israel, etc. This trouble has kind of spruced up again. So um, I don't think we are going to expect anything constructive from to answer your question from the progressive Sriji. Their agenda is different. And and uh, I, I believe Israel refused entry visas to Ilan Omar and uh, Rashida Talaib a few years ago. I think that was also during the previous term of Netanyahu. And they don't forget that slight. And, and so it, what I'm trying to say here is Ilhan Omar and Rep, uh, Rashida Talaib, extreme voices, shrill, and they have now new companions like AOC. Ilhan Omar has a, a junior partner now who's also similar you know, background. I don't know where this country is headed, Sridhar Ji. I mean, I thought people in Congress and Senate were responsible. They made difficult decisions. Right now, all I see is a lot of... Uh, you know, partisan bad-mouthing. Mm. We don't know who is running United States, Fiji. When we figure it out, we'll let the world know. We don't know. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Turkish pre President Erdogan is uh, talked to his Iranian counterpart, says that Islamic world should unite against Israel. The U.S. military announced Saturday that it had dispatched a nuclear-powered guided missile submarine to the Middle East to help ensure regional maritime security and stability amid increasing tensions with Iran. First, U.S. wanted to do a deal with Iran. Now, looks like U.S. is walking back from that. Why is this flip-flopping, sir? Is this, again, that thing that you said about factions within the Department of State? Well, it's, uh, the two things. So in DGA, we reported, uh, you know, the uh, uh, George Bush, the carrier, the, you know, docking around the the Middle East, especially around the Bahraini port. Now we are getting a submarine, uh, which is um, uh, Florida, um, coming to the, the Middle East from Europe, from Italy. I think there are two reasons. One is growing tensions and drone attacks that's emanating from Iran. That's the first to see whether there's any deterrence that is warranted uh, and support that may be required for Israel. So that's the first. Um, and for whatever reasons, the foreign policy uh, disaster that Biden has inflicted on himself, uh, Saudi has gone uh, the opposite. The fifth fleet is uh, the seventh fleet. Uh, is in Japan. The fifth fleet is in Bahrain. Remember, they all are supposed to provide support to the Saudi oil infrastructure. So the submarines are supposed to be an augmentative and it's going to Bahrain uh, to that. Now, it's not just for that. There is also this submarine will provide access and reach should there be a breakout in war in Indo-Pacific South China Sea. So there is some preparation that is going on in conjunction with the saber rattling that's happening around the Taiwan. Now, which faction within the Biden administration is coordinating, run, running this strategy? We can't say because there's so many flip-flops that happens within the Biden administration. 
but at least this is on the move. Sir, uh, some allege that Blinken is a Soros appointee. How truth is that? How truthful is that, sir? I just, uh, I, 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 I can't comment whether he is a Soros appointee, but what I do comment is he comes from the historical legacy of Obama administration. We'll leave it at that and let's take a look at quickly at uh, what is happening with the Pentagon documents on Ukraine. Looks like US, US investigating, US is investigating whether Pentagon documents on Ukraine were leaked. The papers detailing weapon supplies, troop movements, casualty assessments posted online, but may, may have been altered or used as part of a disinformation campaign. And they are alleging that it was Russia that was behind the leaks. Now, Sridharji, how does this make a difference? I mean, Russia, if, if it knows the information ahead that US is sending XYZ to Ukraine, why leak it now? Are they trying to embarrass the Biden administration? They're not only trying to embarrass the Biden administration, they're basically telling them every move that you make, we know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> it's, also, it's also an embarrassment to Ukraine. Because Ukraine has stood up and said, oh, we got to tighten up. Uh, somehow the information has leaked and though it may not be correct. For example, one of the pieces of information is there's only 16,000 Russian troops, troops died as opposed to 200,000. There's supposed to be a specific movement of supplies and other kinds of ammunition that is going as an augmentative. Remember, they're still fighting that Bakhmut battle in the, which is in the center. And, uh, and Ukraine is planning a major offensive. So if this information has fallen in the hands of the Russians. They've just kind of smudged it and presented it as though instead of the original, which is effectively to say, we know it. Okay, you are seeing only the smudged version. It is a tremendous embarrassment. It also tells you the holes within the US, Ukraine, NATO walls. And a last piece of news, we will do this thing and then we'll take on a couple of quick questions and then we'll wrap it up. Siddharji, uh, Russia is now threatening that unless you give us ways to export our products, we are going to start disregarding the UN resolutions. And, and again, they are also saying that Ukraine's grain supply will also be, uh, you know, disturbed or breached. Um, so the, this is going to be a big problem six, coming three to six months from now when the next set of grains will be required by all the other countries. Sir. This is the grain bowl of the world. Russia and Ukraine. Commodity, commodity, commodity is the choke point. Oil, gold, grains. You use the three as very potent weapons, uh, you know, in the event of a war or in preparation for a war. Who is the president of who is the president of the Security Council? Russia. Who sent a reconnaissance plane over Black Sea? United States. And so therefore, the Russians are saying, if you're going to send these things and create some problems for us, Black Sea is off the tracks as far as the movement of the Ukrainian grains in or out any supplies as far as Ukraine goes. Good luck, Ukraine. You go with go on the line. And which means they are beginning to apply all points of choke all is not well, just as you say uh, everything, you know, all is not well within China. All is not well within Russia either. All is not well. All you need to do is look at the, uh, we presented a chart, people may have been dismissive. The amount of Russian oil to China has dramatically come down. 
has dramatically come down. They're, so China is also playing the weapon very carefully to see how you can neutralize um, uh, 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 Russia. Sorry. So therefore, I think that this choke point that they are saying, okay, off the track, is not just a problem for Ukraine, it's a problem for the world, Sriji. And crime, again, raises its ugly head across uh, United States. Uh, one inventor, Bob Lee, inventor, VC entrepreneur, got mugged with the pipe in early hours of the morning in San Francisco, and he died uh, in the hospital. Uh, I can tell you, Sridharji, I'm now, you know, I go on the streets, any place you can find some vacant space, like for example in roundabouts where you are clover leaf patterns where you know one road merges or connects with another one, you are seeing a lot of tents now. In fact, these probably are actually more US citizens because I'm also seeing some of them have RVs, some of them have uh, cars. These cars are also parked alongside these tents. So it's essentially people who have been driven out of their homes for whatever reasons. Now, this is just the uh, existing population. And I don't know where the immigrants are being housed. Huge problem, sir. And, and this is only going to get worse with days and weeks to come. Two incidents. Michael Lee, who is supposed to be a Cash App founder, plus he's a payments oh, Bob Lee, sir. Bob Lee, Robert Bob Lee. Bob Lee, Bob Lee, Bob Lee, sorry. Was uh, murdered, um, stabbed, uh, close on the heels uh, later this week. The um, uh, the uh, uh, fire station retired commissioner uh, was also allegedly attacked by homeless. Allegedly, because we are living in a liberal state, we don't get the truth. We get alleged. Information is always suppressed. But the rising crimeless, the crime rate is alarming. It is because we have a compromised mainstream media. We do not get information at all. It's all positive, 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 but it is the reality is far different as far as the United States is concerned. As the crime begins to spread in New York, Texas, uh, you know, Minnesota, um, uh, we don't need to talk about uh, Portland, uh, then Seattle, uh, then of course, uh, now San Francisco has become uh, one of the big centers. Very unfortunate, but this is what is happening. Uh, we also have had more fentanyl deaths in Texas. China says it is not responsible for it, but the drugs are coming as well into the country. So there's multiple points of issues, but in Biden administration is uh, is and the and and its entourage is focused seems to be on wrong priorities. Um, thank you, sir. And let's take a couple of questions. Uh, request you to keep answers to one minute, sir. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, Rahul Rathod wants to know, Andaman's transshipment port project has potential to create mini Singapore-like economy in Ireland. Your thoughts on it? Absolutely. I think that's what they're trying to do because it's in a very strategic location. Uh, it, is, uh, it is, again, one of the places which is left neglected. Given now India has been building uh, port infrastructure, not only within, its, within the country, but developing and harnessing storage and uh, shipment capabilities clearly it's a very strategic location it is right in the heart and access into south china and asean on one side and then of course it can also be a pivot into uh, indian ocean next question please 
Partha wants to know, can KXL be revived under Republican leadership in 2024? Keystone Pipeline, yeah. I think. Correct. Yes. The answer is yes. A lot of things will change if, uh, uh, if both House and Senate comes into the hands of uh, uh, of the of the, the of the Republicans, but President Biden can still veto. To overcome a veto, you need two thirds, two thirds, two thirds in House and Senate to overcome a veto. So you need a president and at least one of the branches, House or Senate, under your control uh, for you to get through the agenda. Sir, I tell you, Biden himself might reopen Keystone Pipeline. And what choice does US have, sir? You have already depleted two-thirds of its strategic petroleum reserve. And you have committed to supply oil to West. Sir, this is under the assumption that Biden is in charge of United States strategy. I'm just somehow not convinced that's the case. <laughs> Good point, sir. Next question, please. Last one. Uh, given that Indian yield curve is flattening and RBI's decision to hold a rate hike, do you reckon that India has reached peak rates? Interest rates. Yes, I think right now, uh, based on the latest uh, report that I have seen, uh, State Bank of India produces uh, you know, extraordinarily good research reports. Uh, they believe that the um, that the rates are where they need to be. Uh, they don't believe they need to increase the rates, even if that means that there is a slight bump in U.S. But the good news for India is U.S. is unlikely, based on the indications that we are getting from the industry, is that we may see a rate cut by the end of the year rather than a rate hike. So I think that the uh, the uh, India is in a fairly good state in terms of the flattening of the yield curve is concerned. Well, that brings us to a close of today's episode. We'll be back again next Tuesday. Please like, share and subscribe to our channel. Don't forget to click on the bell button for notifications. If you are on Twitter, then please follow S. Chityala. That is Sridharji's uh, handle and my handle is 3IR1. And if you're not on Twitter, consider joining Twitter because that's where you get news. We, we put out 10 stories a day, approximately, give or take. And you will be getting all those things, notifications via Twitter. Thank you very much, Sridharji. Namaskar. Thank you so much and have a wonderful weekend.